0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. I'm Ryan Biagini, and I'm your host. Just over a year ago, we published our first year-in-review E-Series episode, It served as a great opportunity to reflect on impactful moments with previous guests and take a more personal dive into some of the great content we've heard. If you remember, I was joined by my coworker, Jessica Crisp on the mic, who typically serves the podcast behind the scenes for that discussion. We had a great time pulling that episode together and quickly learned that you all enjoyed it too. Our listenership really grew with that episode. Fast forward to today, the E-Series podcast recently celebrated its second anniversary, and with that, another year of insightful conversations and practical advice. We hope you have found year number two equally enjoyable and meaningful. So, back by popular demand, join me as I welcome Jessica Crisp for our second year in review episode.
1: Ryan, I am so excited to be here for this special episode. I'm officially slightly less terrified than last time, so that's a move in the right direction. While my comfort zone is really behind the scenes, it's a lot of fun to get to talk through some of our most popular episodes from last year. One of the things I quickly learned with the E-Series and podcasts in general, because side note, I love podcasts, is that everyone takes something different away from a podcast. On road trips, my husband and I love to listen to podcasts together, and when we talk about them afterwards, it's always really interesting to me that we consistently latch on to very different parts of the same shared information. It points back to the fact that personal perspective and even personality and life experience inform how we connect with an episode and how it motivates us and impacts us moving forward. Do you
0: agree? Uh, I sure do. I think that's where we find value in having a conversation there is a richness in learning someone else's perspective. I think that is especially true with the topic of caregiving.
1: Absolutely, so whether you're a longtime listener or a recent follower, you've probably noticed that we've narrowed our focus over the last year to explore all things caregiver.
0: We did. Our organization has been doing some really intentional and innovative work in the caregiving space the past two years, work we are really proud of. But as we've explored the topic here on the E-Series, what we quickly found is that the topic of caregiving is vaster and more complex than we could have ever imagined.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've only scratched the surface.
0: Today, we're going to take a look back at a few of the caregiving conversations that have the most significant listener responses. I'm excited to dive in.
1: Me too. I'm so excited that I would like to kick us off for one of my favorite clips. And by favorite, I mean one of the most impactful. Is that okay? Maybe I'm getting a little too comfortable on the mic.
0: That's fine, Jessica. Go for it.
1: Okay, let me set this up a little bit. One of the things that I love so much about the E-Series is that we're not afraid to talk about hard topics, to approach things that are uncomfortable, and have an honest discussion about them. This is so true in our toxic positivity episode with Dr. Karen Cross, one of our very own hospice physicians. Ryan, I remember when you first told me about this episode, and I was honestly kind of skeptical. I had very little understanding of what toxic positivity was, and I was not sure how that would come together as an episode.
0: So the truth comes out.
1: I know. Sorry about that. That's why you take the lead and I work behind the scenes. That's a very good flow that we have. Anyway, this episode turned out to be extremely eye-opening for me. Let's listen in. Toxic positivity
2: has been around for a long time, but hasn't had a name. And what it is, is when a person is either in reference to interacting with another person or in reference to kind of their own self-talk, kind of ignores the underlying emotion and fills in the space with platitudes. Things like... Oh, just think positive. Everything will be fine. When one door closes, another door opens. Um, you wouldn't be given this if you weren't strong. Um, just pray and everything will be okay. The, these platitudes that I've certainly heard and probably, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, have probably delivered myself. Um, sure when talking with an individual who's struggling and while people of course are very very well meaning and i think this is what we're taught in society to just to to think positive but what is being discovered as people look into this is there's a lot of downsides to this for the person hearing these things because it negates their true feelings and people report feeling certainly not heard or maybe embarrassed or ashamed of what are very normal human emotions because they're not acknowledged these emotions are are belittled and and I don't I I as I said I think people are very well meaning but It's a kind of a response, I think, to people feeling uncomfortable with dealing with difficult emotions. Our culture is we want to fix things. Mm -hmm. And what I'm suggesting is just acknowledging the other person's situation, feelings, and then sitting with it, just silence and letting the person know that they were heard and respond to that and Our society, we want to fix things, which I am definitely, that's, yeah, I'm a call. (laughs) That's one of my responses is to just sit and listen. We don't, in general,
1: do well with silence.
2: We want to fill it in.
1: I never thought of the use of platitudes as being a reflection of feeling uncomfortable with difficult emotions. This immediately caused me to reflect on my own automatic responses to people. How do I fill the space? Can I put my need to fix it aside and just sit with someone in the difficult moments? When I do speak, how can I edit my response to reflect greater compassion and presence instead of a solution?
0: This episode was not only eye-opening, but uh, if I can be honest, pretty convicting. I've certainly been on the receiving end of these types of comments, and I've been hurt by them. Yet I've also made some of these very same comments myself, as much as I hate to admit it. They are like a defense mechanism to keep me from diving too deeply into someone else's hurt if I'm intimidated by their pain or too scared to be vulnerable. It's easier to fall back on a passing comment than really lean into what someone else is feeling.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, that's part of why it's so valuable these days to have these conversations because it allows us to learn from each other. To me, every E-Series episode has a good handful of takeaways. Even if we only incorporate one of those into our daily lives, it helps us be better people that are more informed and that support those around us with greater compassion.
0: One of the conversations that was really insightful for me was one of our two episodes with Dr. Elise Eifert, Associate Professor of Gerontology at UNCG. Why don't we listen in on one of her comments?
3: I have a tendency to lean towards the University of Washington's caregiver benefit scale because I think they outline very nicely um, the different positive aspects. So for example, you know, this scale indicates that caregiving can make caregivers more patient. It can make people more caring, more accepting. Um, It suggests that caregiving can put help People put their life in perspective and appreciate life more. Um, It suggests that caregiving can help people find new strengths and to be a better person. Um, It also can give people confidence and add meaning to their life. Um, And as well as it, you know, helps them be better advocates for themselves, And so I've, you know, that's the kind of science researchy aspect of things, but I've personally, you know, I've worked with family caregivers for almost 15 years and I've personally heard them talk about, you know, how caregiving has positively influenced their life. You know, a lot of them take a lot of pride in their ability to meet some of the challenges that, that life has thrown at them. Um, it's given them an improved sense of self worth. Where I hear caregivers say, "I had no idea that I was this tough. I had no idea that I was this strong and could get through this." Right. Um, I've also hear, heard them say great things about how it brought, you know, the their the relationship between the caregiver and the care recipient to be much closer. That they got to spend that time with you know, their loved one that maybe they wouldn't have had if it wasn't in a caregiving context. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I just think there are numerous, numerous positive aspects about caregiving that we could be talking about that could be contributing to the narrative of, of caregiving that just aren't discussed enough. It's a duality, right? Mm-hmm. We can't ignore the negative aspects of, of caregiving and I'm not suggesting that. But we can balance that with the positive aspects as well. And that's what I would encourage most people do. And that's what I'm kind of pushing for, is that we talk about the positive just as much as we talk about the negative. Celebrating caregivers doesn't take away from their hard work. <laughs> that's, right. That's for sure. Yeah, these are not incompatible ideas, that they they should be together together. Um, and they're, they're currently not.
1: Dr. Eifert is pushing for awareness and a change in dialogue where we seek to talk about the positive just as much as the negatives and allow both to exist in the same space at the same time. It's so easy to get pulled into negative thought patterns in day-to-day life. I would imagine that's even more true when facing tremendous responsibilities like that of a caregiver. The theme of duality of this role and coexisting feelings reminds me of the movie Inside Out by Pixar. Did you ever see that, Ryan?
0: I have a seven-year-old daughter who loves all things Disney and Pixar, so yes, I am no stranger to joy, sadness, and the whole Inside Out crew.
1: Good, good. So it's a fantastic animated movie, and they talk about how core memories are formed by intense emotions, like Ryan was mentioning, joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. These core memories fuel our personality, and they help form who we become and impact how we see the world around us. At the beginning of the movie, each core memory can only contain one emotion, and that one emotion stays with that memory and defines it forever. By the end of the movie, they discover that core memories can be a combination of emotions like joy and sadness at the same time. And the pivotal moments where our emotions conflict and run together create richness in life. Going back to Dr. Eifert's point, instead of seeing only the difficulties in caregiving, combining them with reflections of the personal growth and positives taking place can be a powerful shift in perspective.
0: I love that. and A powerful shift, yes. But- not one that will happen on its own. Dr. Eifert honed in on the intentionality we all need to employ in order to prioritize the positive and celebrate the work and role of caregivers. Focusing on the positive and joyful moments doesn't negate the hardships and challenges. On the contrary, when we view caregiving through this comprehensive lens, the role becomes more sweet, more rewarding, and even the challenging moments gain new perspective. Simply tweaking our tone, our facial expression, or how we ask a question can make all the difference in these interactions.
1: And that's a perfect transition to our next clip, which focuses on an incredibly important topic closely linked to the emotions we experience, anticipatory grief. I'm going to be completely transparent when I say that I didn't have a clear understanding of what anticipatory grief was prior to working um, for Hospice of the Piedmont. I always thought of grief as something that takes place after the loss of a loved one, but after working with our organization and our bereavement counselors for several years, I've realized that grief can impact us long before a loss even takes place. Instead of putting it in my own words, let's listen to a clip from Understanding Anticipatory Grief where with our special guest, Marsha Vernard, one of our bereavement counselors.
4: Anticipatory grief is the grief you feel before your loved one dies. And um, you ask somebody, when do you feel your first um, sense of grief when you're with your loved one? They will say it was ages ago, maybe when I first saw big changes or it mm-hmm. was when the doctor gave us the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So it's that period when you recognize life is changing. It can be a week or it can be 10 years. Um, and that's part of the challenge of anticipatory grief is that's that whole period of the changes that unfold as a person becomes more ill and moves towards death. And it's what is being asked of us emotionally and what changes we have to make in our days and our family lives. Um, that is what anticipatory grief is, that whole collection of emotions and adjustments.
0: I really appreciated Marcia's definition of anticipatory grief the collection of emotions and adjustments that take place during this period of life change, be it a a week or over several years. See, my dad is in the early stages of cognitive decline. Now, I don't feel like I am grieving the loss of him yet, as he is still relatively healthy. But at the same time, I don't get the impression that what Marcia is describing in Anticipatory Grief is a destination as much as a journey. Grief is not a moment, but a process, ever-changing over time. Over the past several years, there have been changes to my dad's mood, to his personality, even to how he carries himself. The outgoing, gregarious man who never met a stranger, now more reserved, finding more comfort on the couch in front of the game than in the circle of conversation where he once thrived. Perhaps it's the difficulty in finding the right word to say or that the once clear memory is now clouded, and the challenge to cut through, regardless, the changes have begun. These changes have been gradual over several years, and I may not even have noticed them if it weren't happening to my dad, but for those of us that know and love him most, we can't help but pick up on them. It seems to me that all caregivers ride this roller coaster in grief in one way or another. Navigating feelings and processing realities one step at a time and, and sometimes all at once. Going back to Marsha's episode, she shares one example of a caregiver who was on this roller coaster of anticipatory grief, working through the changes and decline she was observing in her husband. Much like the Inside Out characters that you shared about earlier, Jessica, this caregiver felt a variety of emotions all at once during this arduous season of change. Let's re listen to that clip.
4: I was I'm thinking about a woman who said to me, I feel like I've got seven emotions happening stacked on top of each other and I'm feeling them all at the same time. You know, well, that's intense. You know, that's a lot. She is both out of out of energy, depleted and so grateful that she's sitting there with her loved one still. You know, she is angry at their behavior or angry at herself. There's just so much that can happen. I mean, imagine what it's like to both be saying goodbye to somebody, but they're still there. How do you, how do you get comfortable with that? How do you want their suffering to end, but don't want them to go away? How do you want your crazy overwhelmed life to end, but not by having them die? There's just a whole lot of room for guilt and complicated emotions. How do you give up hope for them to live, but still hope for something else? Hope for some good days, hope for some comfort, hope for, you know, that the kids will come by and spend meaningful time with them. It's just a very, it's a mirror, it's like a kaleidoscope. You never know what's, um, what's going to come up for you or what you're going to experience. The goal is not to make it all better or have a very smooth emotional life. It's to acknowledge that, you know, this is a, a rich but difficult for many of us, um, period of goodbye, period of saying goodbye in bits and pieces sometimes or all together. So um, it's, it's not asking those questions so you don't have any more problems, it's asking those questions so you can try to make the most of these hours and days.
1: When Marcia shares about a rich and meaningful extended time of goodbye, it resonates with me in a way that it didn't previously. It's been interesting to navigate all of our caregiving conversations over the last year while seeking to support two very important caregivers in my own life. I'm extremely fortunate to have a close relationship with my husband's parents, and just over two years ago, they moved and uprooted many aspects of their life to become full-time caregivers for their aging parents. My father-in-law's parents moved into their home, and then they began providing around-the-clock care for his mother with Lewy body dementia and his father with heart failure. They walked a two-year journey and an extremely prolonged season of goodbye. The questions Marcia asked in this clip reminded me of conversations that I had with them during their caregiving season. Watching the decline on a daily basis as the needs would arise, as their parents became less of who they were and who they knew them to be. A caregiver's journey can be grueling. As Marcia referred to making the most of the hours and days, I was able to see my in-laws do that within their caregiving role. They experienced anticipatory grief firsthand. To endure that, they began to meet Alvin and Loretta, my father-in-law's parents, where they were in their disease progression and connect with them in any way that they could in order to make the time that they had left as special as possible spending time watching Gunsmoke, their favorite Western show, listening to gospel music, and doing tasks like folding washcloths to decrease their anxiety. As Dr. Eifert spoke of, I watched resilience grow in the lives of both of my in-laws as they dedicated all of their energy to meeting the needs before them. I think this brings us to an important point. Caregivers experience a tremendous amount of strain and a variety of emotions coupled with remarkable growth.
0: I really appreciate you sharing your in-laws' stories, Jessica, and and you're right. The caregiver experience is complex. Caregiver growth is like a diamond refined under pressure. In those moments of strain and stress, we've learned from our guests that it is essential to pause and seek out opportunities for self-care, to provide for their own needs and to put their mask on first in order to thrive and not just survive the caregiving journey. Misty Nichols, one of our social workers, shared about this in the episode Self-Care for Caregivers.
5: Being able to recognize and value yourself as an important part of the caregiving relationship. Um, it's so, so pivotally important to recognize that your well-being and your worth as a person Um, matters just as much as the person that you are caring for. Um, You know, caregiving is a very um, symbiotic relationship. You know, whatever affects you is going to affect the person that you care for. Sure. Positively or negatively. Um, So self-care, it sounds like a very rudimentary term and and something that is, is very simple to take on. But unfortunately, a lot of caregivers put their own health and their own well-being in the back seat when they have to embrace to the, the possibility of carrying the responsibilities as, as a caregiver.
0: As we have worked with caregivers, the narrative is all too common that in laser focusing on their loved one, caregivers lose themselves and their own health may begin to decline. They are so focused on their extremely important and valued roles as a caregiver that at their own expense, they ignore their needs of their own body tuning into things like hunger, exhaustion, and a desire for connections with others.
1: Yeah, that's so true. When we neglect our body, we become more isolated, depressed, hot-tempered, and inadvertently our caregiving ability is reduced. On the flip side, when we're able to prioritize caring for ourselves whether a quick snack, a phone call with a friend, or just a 15-minute power nap, our capacity and even our desire to care for others grows exponentially. Let's hear what Misty has to say.
5: When people allow themselves outlets time to debrief and de-stress, you know they they maintain a, a clearer mind. They they don't start having these negative emotions toward the one that they're caring for. Um, their health can be maintained reasonably well. They can maintain relationships outside of the caregiver relationship that they have right now. Um, they're able to set boundaries kind of where they need to. And and like you said before, recognize their, their limitations and and things that they are good at and things that they may need help with for the long haul, because some, some disease processes are very, are very um, long and drawn out, unfortunately. And some disease processes are very rapid and both of those directions, you know, Both of those scenarios have their own challenges with that, but you've got to try to prepare yourself for for the long haul if you can.
0: Misty's exactly right. When someone is thrust into the caregiving role, no one knows the timeline. What we do know about this symbiotic relationship is that as a loved one's needs grow and therefore the caregiver's responsibilities grow, the need for caregivers to invest in even small amounts of self-care is critical to their ability to continue fulfilling this important role.
1: You know, this reminds me of an AARP article that I recently read. It shared about how even though there are numerous tasks calling out for a caregiver's attention and energy every day, investing a small amount of time, even if only 10 or 15 minutes, in self-care each day can have a lasting and positive impact on the caregiver's ability to care for their loved one. AARP shares that the investments in self allow you to stay connected to life affirming experiences and they have a recharging effect on caregivers. Ideas include listening to your favorite music from your teenage years or working on a coloring book or a puzzle or even journaling. I'll link the article in the show notes for today's episode. The most important thing to note is that investing in self has a lasting impact on your ability to sustain the caregiving role.
0: We have learned so much from these caregiving episodes and are so grateful for each one of our guests. They have challenged us to rethink how we provide care for others, be it professionally or personally, to relearn how we speak to and interact with those in the caregiving role, and to reevaluate how we prepare others for their transition into the caregiving position when the time comes.
1: Over the past two years of exploring these unique and trying needs, our organization has developed a myriad of tools, resources, and programs to address the needs and desires of caregivers. In addition to developing ongoing partnerships with other organizations and resources in the community.
0: In this new year of episodes, we are excited to highlight some of those collaborations as well as provide valuable tools for our listeners. Our organization is tuned in to the needs in the caregiving space, and we are committed to supporting those actively caring for another. We invite you to tune in and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so as not to miss an episode as we invite guests from community organizations that serve senior adults and align with our passion for coming alongside caregivers.
1: As former First Lady Rosalind Carter once shared, there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. So it is our hope that you would live with us in this caregiver space that will either now or someday down the road be relevant to you.
0: Thank you for faithfully tuning in and giving us a listen. Jessica and I are grateful for this platform and for each one of you. Don't forget, my name is Ryan Biagini.
1: And I'm Jessica Chris.
0: And this this has has been been the E-Series.